0: Like how you decide which sperm to use, the cold, hard truth of fertility, your reality of dating as a single mother who doesn't have a co-parent to rely on for occasional child care,
1: and what it's actually like
0: to parent as an SMC. This is the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice podcast.
1: So hi, Pod. We're here today with a topic that's especially timely for Hera and I and many SNCs with school-age children, because entering school for many of us takes us from the frying pan into the fire. We have academic schedules to deal with. We've got standardized tests. We've got activities Social dynamics, and then we also have current events all colliding around our kids. I know I'm feeling the burn. Hera and I talk every day. We're both feeling the pinch. Things get real really quick. So we've turned to the seasoned folks in our group, parents of tweens, to hopefully tell us that this too shall pass or give us a little bit of insight as to what we need to prepare for. So our topic today. Is Mocha SMC's Parenting Tweens? We've invited Jennifer, Joy, and Yana here to join us to share their experience and their SAGE advice. So, Mochas, please introduce yourselves.
2: Um, I'm Jennifer. I am uh, 54. I live in Houston with my 12 and a half year old seventh grader, and he was conceived um, via home insemination with a known donor. I'm Joy.
3: I have an 11-year-old who will be 12 very, very soon, in a few weeks. I am 50, I just had a birthday, 56. Hey, (laughs) Um, happy birthday. Thank you. And my child is neurodiverse, and I think that that's um, sort of an important part to add to this conversation because it does change schooling and friends and all sorts
4: of things. Hi, I'm Yana. And I have two children. My youngest child is actually my SMC baby. He was donor conceived of my oldest child who we're here to talk about. She's from a previous relationship but her dad is not in the picture. So I've parented her solo her entire life. She's 12, gonna be 13 in like two weeks. So she's almost teen. <laughs> and um, so I have a yeah, IUI with donor sperm is how I had my son and my daughter is previous relationship.
0: Awesome. thank (laughs) Thank you all for being here. So I know many moms in our space, you know, they're getting to the point where they're returning to work after maternity leave and understandably they balk at the thought and they're a lot of times saying like, Oh my gosh, you know, this is the time when I should be spending all this time with my baby. And understandably they want to spend time with their infant. But I think that what is often missed in the narrative in our spaces is what happens when the kids get older. So I'd like to kind of understand from you all, what is it like? How do your feelings change around spending time with your kids? I think like a lot of folks might think that now that they're grown, they don't need you as much. And I have a feeling that you guys will dispel this.
3: Son enjoys a lot of um, alone time. (laughs) He has his own activities. He um, He kind of only talks to me when there's no one else around, but he has a pretty busy social life, whether it's uh, playing games. He has a VR headset. He plays games with friends um, because he's been to different schools. He has friends who are local and who live further away. Um, He's also able to stay home a little bit, which is nice for me to be able to run to the grocery store without having to take him with me. Yet I call him and tell him to come to the garage and help me unload groceries. So there's some benefit to it.
0: Oh, that sounds amazing.
3: to <laughs> go out to the grocery store?
2: I know. Well, what age is that again, Joy?
0: <laughs> that is so true
2: because I do the exact same thing. As I pull back into the garage, I'm, Tate, as soon as you hear the garage door open, come downstairs and help me get the groceries out of the car. You know, I remember years ago, I, when I was working with another friend and um, his wife was a pediatrician, she only worked at the, you know, when I, when we were in, when her husband and I worked together, we're both uh, pediatric dentists. We worked together for about 10 years. And when her, when their son was about 12, Kara, who was only working two to three days a week, she quit work altogether. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine why you would. Quit work, and they just said that their son just needed her to be home. And you just don't quite get that until I think that you're in it. Where, yeah, definitely, you're, you're, my son is much more independent and he can do his own thing and he has his own friends. But there's a lot of emotional duress and stress at this time. And if you fostered, I feel like, and I I can't say that I fostered a great relationship, but as you, as they age and mature and you foster that relationship, you want them to be able to come to you with all of the drama and all of the heartache and the angst and the good times and the bad times when you're working and you don't get home till six o'clock and your son has baseball at 730. I mean, it's a race when I get home on Monday and Wednesday. I get home at 545. We have to leave at 630 to drive 30 minutes to baseball. And then he's in baseball for two hours. And there's really no time to reconnect at the end of his day. And so I wish that I had that time back to reconnect with him and to hear how his day went and to understand how he's feeling when XYZ is being mean. So I can see why Kara quit because as her son was struggling with, whether it was schoolwork or social social issues they need they there is that need I think to reconnect with their parent so i don't work on friday so i can pick him up i pick him up from school at 3:30 i make him do homework in the kitchen so i can see him my babysitter can see him things that encourage us to reconnect while i'm cooking dinner so i That's where I come, come at the whole, yeah, it's great when your baby is six months old to be home with it, but anyone can give your baby a bottle
0: Mm -hmm. and not everyone can give my 12 year old what he needs. Well, it sounds like with all the activities, it also might be harder because you have like these small moments where you probably have to like, try to get it out of them. Because I know a lot of teenagers, you know, they like to go into their little space and, and so just being strategic about getting them to talk to you sounds like it would be way more challenging than like you know my 3 year old wants to tell me everything like <laughs> she's like i'm just learning to talk like you got to listen to me but i'm sure that will change by the time she's a a teenager
4: yeah. i think it's it's real dependent on the the child cuz my daughter she tells me everything like everything, like stuff to the point where sometimes my mommy heart is like, yeah, I could have dealt without (laughs) not knowing that. And like, she tells me everything she's doing, everything her friends are doing. And she's like, are you going to tell so-and-so's mom? And if it's not something that's detrimental to the kid, I'm like, sometimes it's okay for you and your friends to have like things that you guys know that we don't know. (laughs) And I'm like, it's it's, trying to teach her where the limit is, where sometimes kids know things that parents don't know when it's and sometimes it's okay it's not always okay like it's a gray area but it's like sometimes it's like you didn't really have to tell me that but she just tells me everything and I like that she tells me everything right but it's just yeah it's really kid dependent but she does she wants me to know everything everything
1: (laughs) well I will say I know I am starting to feel a real burn right now with my seven-year-old and if you know the emotional load of a tween is anything like with the seven-year-old, I think I'm going to be in for a lot of wine uh, as my, my child ages because right now she's the youngest in her class and so she comes home with a lot of big emotions Right. And it's just, you know, easy to cry. She's a so She wants to tell me everything. And um, like Jennifer said, we have this compressed time, you know, where we're in the car. Um, and so I've started carving out time when I drive her to school to say, do you have any questions, any things that you want to ask? Because it really, you know, it's not just like on the go time, and it can't be like, I'm looking you in the eye, let's have this intense conversation time. It really has to be kind of like intentional, but a low pressure type of um, environment that you set up and that takes time right because we're who we are, and I know sometimes I get triggered because of something she said, and then I trigger her, and it's just a cycle that I wish wouldn't happen, but if I had more space and more time, you know, I feel like I could, you know, lean into that a little bit more and be more self-aware. All right, so... Let's get into um, this next, because we talk a lot about um, conception stories, adoption stories, and we, as SMCs, we're intentional about the stories and how we tell it and how we make space for the kids to process. So I know... the the types and the details we we share will change over time. So how has your child's conception story or adoption story or your approach to their story, how has that changed as they've grown and gotten older?
3: Uh, You mentioned adoption story. So my son was adopted at birth. In fact, I cut the umbilical cord. And uh, did induce lactation. So he has been with me from the very beginning. And we've had, uh, he's always known that he was adopted. And there were times he would get angry when he was a toddler and he would tell me he liked it better in his birth mother's stomach than than being with me. He knew exactly what buttons to push. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He did. And I just didn't respond to those sorts of things. And I will say now, um, oftentimes he'll say things like, you know, I almost forgot that you know you didn't have me or something like that and he kind of makes it more intentional he asks questions about her um we have an open adoption and i've always told him anytime he wants once he said can i talk to her and i said let me text and find out and i said she said sure and he said okay maybe some other time and he's oh, never been interested again so um, he, he but I just
0: wanted to know if she
3: was open to talking not that he right like, right to talk to so her. Right. And he's made the, you know, he's said several times, he's got a lot more friends now who are divorced and going back and forth between parents. And he said, well, I don't have a dad, but at least I don't have to do that. So he's sort of weighing at this point, what his family life is like compared to, um, you know, his married friends and his friends who have divorced parents. So that's been in the last year or so, he's really paid attention, more attention to family structure, and mm-hmm not wondered why ours is, but instead celebrate, you know, the, the family he has.
0: I find that so interesting. I think it, it definitely, there's a shift. And I think I'm starting to finally get to that shift now with my daughter being in third grade where she's saying things like, you know, so-and-so her sister actually goes to another house on the weekends. And I'm like, well, yeah, that happens sometimes. And it's interesting when they start to kind of see that the, the families that they've always attached as normal like there's really no normal
4: if my daughter's view on it is a little different because her she had a father but she knows who he is but so telling her like my son's story and she learned his because she was eight when he was born and she knew I was going to use a donor but I don't know if she all the way understood the concept and then I didn't tell her I was pregnant with him until like after I was out the first trimester and then I told her I was pregnant she was like, like happy that he was coming and she didn't really much mention the donor anymore after that but we know donor siblings and so she knows they share the same donor as her brother. And she just, she calls them her siblings too. That's my brother and sister wow. too. And that's her view of it. And that's his view of it. And nobody tells her different. And, but she, and she said, I could share. Cause I did ask her, could I share this? She wishes that she was donor conceived as well. Cause she said it's better for kids to be donor conceived and have a dad like mine, who just like, doesn't want to be here. Like who knows I'm here. He knows I exist and he's chosen not to be here. So at almost 13, like that's her point of view, that her brother is better off than she is.
1: So, Yana, I have a question because I have two conception stories to, to share with my, my children. How are you navigating um, the, the two conception stories? So you said that your daughter kind of wishes that she had a donor as well. How, how are you navigating those two stories to, to give them both the, the respect that their situations entail?
4: I've been, what I've been doing is I can you know, she understands that all dads aren't like her dad and like there are family dynamics where the dads are good dads and are good people and are involved. And her dad is not like the the standard of fathers. And from my son's perspective, he's met her dad before and he just called her sister's dad. And that was it. Like he never, he doesn't think anything of it. Like, it's just like meeting someone else. Like, if I said, oh, this is Miss Aisha. Oh, that's Miss Aisha. And that's that's what his label is. And he hasn't really totally grasped this. I don't think he understands that her having a dad and him having a donor is, a, is different yet. And she understands it. And she's like, you got, you got to make kid. It. So it's like, I'm going to keep on trying to foster in the way. And I try to make sure she has like the good role models. Like she's really close with my dad and he's really close with my dad. And I kind of push that relationship. You know, you have pop pop and pop pop does this and pop pop does that for the both of them. But the way it's going is because of the way her father is. They both were like, don't conceived is a way to go. And this is awesome. And you know, that's, that's where they are with it because just, of her situation. They don't have a, like they, they love my dad, but they don't really all the way have a, um, anything else to compare it to as far as a dad living in the home. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you, you, you've
1: kind of centered on what they have as opposed to what's not.
0: Yes. Yes. So how are you guys navigating social situations? I mean, many, many parents in this space, like they're just, their kids are just starting to go to school. And Aisha and I have talked a lot about like, you know, it goes down on the playground and like, you know, the kids just trying to navigate socially. How does this change when they get to be tweens? The phone, like, how do you deal with like phones and social media? Like the things that like tweens get into that, like the younger ones really aren't there yet. Well, I am,
2: so Tate does not have a phone. I am full on board with the, and I think I've mentioned that before on, on the um, Facebook page that I'm a firm proponent of wait until eight. So mm-hmm. my feeling has always been, there's no place that my 12 year old needs to be, or my 11 year old needs to be mm-hmm. where there's not an adult. We don't live in a situation where we live in the city. So, and he goes to private school. So there is no going out with like riding his bike down to his friend's house because we just, we don't have that because of where we live and because of the school environment that he's in. So there's no place that he needs to be that there shouldn't be an adult that has a phone. So there is no phone. So he does have an iPad, but restrict, strict, strict rules. There's no screen time during the week. I've lessened up on that a little bit. I do let him text with his friends on the iPad, but there's no TikTok. There's no, there's no YouTube during the week. Well, he doesn't do TikTok anyway, but, um, so that's how I've done it. There, there's just no, there's no use. And I don't use my phone, um, during dinner. I really try really hard when I come home, unless I'm on call, I don't use my phone until he goes to bed. That I was really good about that when he was really young. There was no, I didn't use my phone. So unless I got paged by the office, I wasn't on it. So I used that as a model. Uh, like when I was growing up, if the phone rang during dinner, you didn't get the phone.
1: So Jennifer... I know, I know, um, your son is in a a lot of sports, right? So y'all do a lot of stuff. How do you handle, how do you juggle that? So with your job, with school, with his activities, how do you juggle that and not feel overwhelmed? Or do you feel overwhelmed?
2: Well, we have a, I have a sitter. So I've had this sitter since he was in kindergarten. I chose to do that because I didn't want him to have a, such a long day. I I felt like at three o'clock he needed to come home and relax. You know that I you know even you know I felt like it was different from daycare. So I've always had a sitter. So all of my sitters, when he was young and he had sports, they were always after school, and so they just picked him up from school from the sporting activities. Now it is overwhelming. Not overwhelming. I mean, it's just it's a lot of work. You just have to, I just have to be organized. I just have to know where he has to be, when he has to be. And then you just, you have your weekends open. I, I, when I know we have a tournament, I don't make plans. So there's nothing. I mean, I just, you know, you just, I said, so there's, I don't go out a lot because it's just so, so busy. So you do, you just have to be organized. And I have, I have help with, with my babysitter. She's awesome.
1: Joy. How does this change? You said that your son is neurodiverse. So what are his activities like? How do you juggle his activities with your schedule?
3: Right. So he is on the autism spectrum. It would be called Asperger if they still had that diagnosis. So most people can't even tell, you know, that the stereotypical stuff about not being able to look someone in the eyes or not being able to figure out jokes. He doesn't have any of that. So it's, it's more about sensory issues. Like if it gets too loud, uh, he likes to stick to a schedule, those sorts of things. In fact, I didn't even know it was an issue until he started school. It started oh, in kindergarten. Yeah. And so I find uh you know, school, I always say that that Dr. Spock book ends at five for a reason, because when you start mixing teachers in it, <laughs> You, you just can't control anything. You can't control what influences they have. You know, he was coming mm. home saying things about like, you know, screaming like a girl or blah, you know, and I, I had to get those sorts of things out of him because he didn't have those kinds of exposures at home. And so, so it manifested itself in uh, the classroom where there was a lot of chaos and several students in a class. Uh, so that, was one of the first things I had, I, my oh, being overwhelmed has to do with schools and navigating how they look at a black boy with a single mother in a predominantly white area. And everything seems to be about behavior and not about his actual disability. So I've been having to do a lot of educating and a lot of advocating for him. And he is now in the sixth grade. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's been one of my challenges, but I also wanted to go back to what Jennifer said, because we live in an urban area where my son takes the bus, he walks all over the neighborhood, he rides his bike all over the neighborhood, you know, they a uh, group of kids at Halloween decided that they wanted to spend 30 minutes trick or treating without their parents, which was oh. the first time for him and there were two kids older and I was terrified. And at one point he called me and told me he was at the Arctic Circle, which is like a Dairy Queen or something, and that they were all getting courtesy cones. And I was like, oh, Lord, they're going to get kicked out. But they each got their free little ice cream cone and left and kept trick-or-treating. And I just kept thinking, he's just growing up. He's he's independent. And you know, parents stayed in touch with each other throughout this. But, you know, we live in one of those kind of neighborhoods. It's very old school, you know, um, Mm -hmm. with porches on the front and everybody's constantly walking. And so he has a a good amount of independence, I'd say. And it took me a long time to get there. But he would say, like, so-and-so who's younger than me gets to do blah, blah, blah. So (laughs) he rides his bike to school when the weather is good. And school is about a mile and a half away. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I rode with him the first few days of school to make sure he knew all of the hand signals and, you know, how he only has to make two turns, but yeah, I mean, that was really hard too, but he does, he, he rides his bike and when the weather's bad, he takes the bus.
0: I think that's so, I mean, that's something that I feel like I have a lot of anxiety about just like that age where you have to start trying to give them a little of independence. And it's like scary because they're like, but you're still my baby, you know, (laughs) and like finding that balance to not be too hovery. I mean, with little kids, it can look like, you know, seeing them jumping off a slide and being like, okay, I can't be that parent. That's like constantly trying to hover over my kid. But, you know, thank you for that. Cause I think it's, it is. It's like that first time that we trust them is so it can be so hard. And many, many of us aren't there yet, but it, it's great kind of hearing how you all balance that.
3: There are a lot of struggles. He has a phone too. I'm not, I was not thrilled about his getting a phone, but I happened to get a free iPhone 12 mini because I got an iPhone 12 and I, I still to this day, I'm not sure that I'm okay with it, but it does make me, or it had made me feel make me initially feel better that he had a phone since he was taking the bus but when he didn't come home one day and I kept trying to call him and couldn't get him I was terrified I didn't know where he was or what he had done turned out he got upset with me and blocked me <gasps> on his phone oh no he did it. <laughs> yes he did
0: oh no see mm-hmm. that whew, I am that not was like that is
3: the whole purpose <laughs> of your having a phone if that ever happens again You will not not see this phone until you can buy one yourself. But yes, he had blocked me. And that's why I couldn't reach him. And it turned out he was on his phone, not paying attention, missed his stop and then was trying to sort out how to get back home. But he didn't want to call and tell me that he missed it. So I was a wreck. And so I was out driving around, tracing the bus stop, tracing his walk stop. And he called and said, I'm home. Where are you? And I'm like, I'm out looking for you. You know, so we had a long, long talk about that. But I think that was one of the most terrifying things for me. And he couldn't describe where he was when he got off the bus, you know, but he managed to find his way home. But it was terrifying. Oh, Oh, I was going to say, as as you
2: um, you you see, you're all you're always you know, you don't want your baby to do this. you Don't want your kid to do that. I tell you, at 12 and a half, I am you think you don't want your kid to drive. I cannot wait to <laughs> drive. I'm thinking, okay, we're 12 and a half. That means we have three and a half more years. Can I get my car back from my brother-in-law? Because of, you know, yeah, I as horrified. So it's all those things that you think you're so scared for your kid to take this step and that step. And then you understand why mm-hmm. the 16 year old is driving himself to baseball is driving herself to softballs yeah. because then I don't have to do it. Oh, totally As much as I don't want him to, I, I look forward to that freedom for him to do so. I mean, I'll be horrified because it will be getting on the freeway. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it's like a new layer of independence, you know, like we all, we all like hope for that day that our toddler and our little kid can like reach the cereal because <laughs> like when we can sleep and then like the next stage, it's like, wait a second, driving would be so great. All right. Yeah. So I, I am very panicked about puberty (laughs) and you all are probably like in the throes of it at this point like how does that conversation go and and I think for me the the real concern I have is like navigating having that conversation with your kid before the school does how how did you all deal with that that stage or have you
4: yet I went in early and I actually talked to my daughter about it early just because I um Ended up developing early as a, as, a, as a young girl. My period came early and I was like, I want her to know what a period is before period comes. I don't want her to wake up and freak out one morning. Mm-hmm. So I talked to her when she was like eight about it. And I was telling her and this could happen and that could happen. And this is happening. And this is why. And your hormones are this. And fortunately, it didn't come on for her at eight. So when she finally did get her period, she was prepared because I talked to her about it at eight. It didn't come till she was twelve. But it's like so what she knew already.
0: I should have already started having this conversation. And I'm like,
4: <laughs> because it's like, I just didn't want her to freak out and be like, I'm bleeding no, to death. Good. You mean, know? Exactly. I mean, That's
0: good advice. Like, I mean, my kids ate and she doesn't seem like she's developing, but I just, I, you know, you never know. Like, she could have it soon and I'd be caught off guard.
1: Mm-hmm. At this stage, you know, they talk about it at school, they talk about so much at school. Mm-hmm. My daughter comes home and she schools me and I'm just freaking out like somebody was trying to buy a Tesla and apparently Tesla, people who have Teslas have money. This is the education that they're getting on the playground or in school. So I definitely would want to preempt that conversation. Does it change? Yana has a daughter. You know, what's your experience like, you know, pre-pubescent for boys or people with penises? (laughs) (laughs)
2: you know tate is very he he's not the least bit interested he knows you know now we're you know where babies come from and how you have a baby and he understands sperm and egg to a great extent so he he's very fine with it he doesn't seem concerned we've not had issues but we really he doesn't ask a lot of questions. He's never been that. People always tell me, you know, their daughter asked them this at three and their son asked them this at four about, you know, penises and where do babies. Tate's never been interested in pregnancy. Any of that. He has never, he's just, he is a take it as it is kind of kid.
3: (laughs) Mine is the complete opposite. He was touching himself very early on and asking me what some of his body parts were. And I would, and I learned early to just like answer the question and stop and not because if you talk too much, they get bored. And we always talked about anatomical parts and things like that. And the daycare would sometimes call me and say, this is perfectly normal. Like when he was four, it was like preschool. Mm-hmm. This is, per- he was a uh, potty trained early, but they were still doing community bathrooms because some of the kids at two and a half were still being, and he was like, is that a vagina? So they moved him up to the class where there were <laughs> private bathrooms. We're like, oh, he, he knows started.
0: things. <laughs> so <laughs>
3: so he, he's always been really precocious. And I, I answer honestly and try to tell him as little as possible until he asks about more. Sometimes he jumps to conclusions that are inaccurate. And then I have to correct him um, about those things. I kind of thought, oh, I'm having a boy. I don't have to worry about birth control. And then I thought, wait a minute. Yes, I do. He needs to know all the things that mm-hmm. a parent of a girl would need to know. And, and it's important for him. You know, he knows about consent. I've had to buy lots of books on this stuff with photograph with pick, not photographs, but drawings about, you know, kids bodies and what it looks like. I have a couple of really great books about how a child's body matures with pubic hair and that sort of stuff. Um, and that's been, I think, really helpful. And he's asked me a couple of questions where I was like, where did you hear this? And, and mm-hmm. once he said, well, my friend asked me what it meant. And I told him I didn't know I'd ask my mom and get back with him. And <laughs> I love it. I'm just glad he right, asked me. Mm-hmm. I know the parent
1: friend, <laughs> you know, they're they're now your peers, right, in terms of influence. And it's just like.
0: I mean, that also makes me wonder though, that like, I love that he was like, I'll go ask my mom because I know she'll be honest with me. And it makes me kind of wonder like these kids, these other kids out there that are like not having these conversations with their parents. I struggle. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely struggling right now with my daughter at eight, like what to say, when to say, how to say it. But I love that you have, you know, this really comfortable relationship with him where he's, he's comfortable coming and asking you things that his friends aren't necessarily comfortable asking their parents. You guys are a wealth of information. I want to to have you all back. We're going to close this episode out, but don't worry, everyone. We are going to have these lovely ladies back with us on a part two to get some more information on this stage of our children's life. Until next time.
1: Well pod. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what you heard, share
0: us with your girlfriends. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So tell us what you thought of this episode on social media. On Facebook, we are at Mocha SMC podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram,
1: we are at Mocha SMC. You can find additional information on the topics from the podcast at our website at mochasmc.com. Till next time, pod. Bye now.